Welcome to episode 38 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stone. We are coming to you after a grind of a baseball game. Uh, Tuesday, September 6th, 2022 will not go down in the history books as a fantastic moment in Blue Jays history for a variety of reasons. It is a 9-6 to loss, but it felt a lot worse than in a variety of ways for the Blue Jays. I say we kind of tackle this in chronological order. It's a little hard to figure out where to start in terms of what was the most impactful thing. Uh, so let's start with Mitch White. Mitch White was uh, was pretty bad in this game, um, to give you an incredibly eloquent summary of his outing. Stoughton, where are you with White? I know we talked about him prior, and I think both of us were kind of agreeing that he was – you know, not necessarily the greatest thing since sliced bread, but an understandable fifth starter, and maybe that what had been said about him recently was a little bit unfair. Do we still feel that way after this outing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do, but I understand why people are, are, are getting frustrated. I mean, the ERA looks real ugly. I think it was like a seven ERA as a Blue Jay, you know, uh, so that's obviously very limited. The Fippins looked better, uh, but that's, you know, putting sort of, big picture numbers on a real small sample. And it's kind of like, uh, it, it, I mean, this is, this is not, uh, this is not going to flatter Mitch White, not that he deserves flattering at this point, but it's like Brad Handish. It's like, this guy's fine. Brad Hand's fine or was fine. Last I looked for Philadelphia this year. I don't know what the hell's happened since like the middle of the season. I don't pay much attention to the Phillies, but, uh, uh, particularly Brad Hand, but but you know that was a guy who it made sense. You know there was you know not a not a world beater by any stretch. Obviously, you know different situations, different role, different roles. Uh, but it just feels the same way where it's like you know the uh, the people who think that there's something magical that happens when they go the Jays go on the road that that makes the home road split something worth talking about are also looking at you know the oh he's been bad since he's a Blue Jay he's bad and that's not quite true but also he has been bad um, and. You know, I, I think that, and I tweeted this earlier, I tweeted that, you know, I, I think long-term I have no problem with Mitch White. I have no problem running Mitch White out there again. I think people are, are maybe going to disagree with that. Um, they don't really have any other options at this point. I mean, if they were, like, if there were bountiful options, they would have never got him in the first place. Uh, I think some of the, like, you know, people are uh, losing their minds about Ross Atkins. I saw that we had a nice little reply to uh, to one of our, our tweets promoting this uh, uh this this episode that was someone was was real up in in Ross Atkins business, uh, which you know to to that person's uh, defense, uh, you know Kikuchi Mitch White both pitching in the same game, not a great look for the general manager. Uh, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I think you know I was really encouraged by those first couple of innings from White, and then obviously it completely went sideways. I know Joe Siddle talked about you know Alejandro Kirk, and that's been maybe an issue. Maybe maybe we'll see Danny Jansen catch him at some point. I you know I wouldn't I wouldn't hate that idea. Um, I'm not a huge. I think that there's been a lot of people the the expertise in like game calling among the people I see on Twitter has really skyrocketed lately. I'm not entirely sure why. Um, I don't know what I, I, I you know you hear terms and you, you think you're I, I, I don't know I, I don't want to I don't want to slander anybody but uh, but but yeah the game calling stuff is is uh, if Joe Siddle's saying it then I then I trust that there could be an issue there um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think that I, I more believe that White is the guy we saw in the first two innings than in the, the one where it went you know, sideways on him. 
Yeah, I'm generally inclined to agree. I know that people don't want to see him again. A lot of people don't want to see him again. As you said, it's all about alternatives. Uh, if there was some great alternative, maybe it would be worth pursuing, but there really isn't at this point. And he did look good in those first couple of innings. Things unraveled. That can happen. He do, he is someone who, and uh, Dan Shulman on the broadcast was making this point, that he sometimes seems like he doesn't quite have a pitch to put guys away. Like he really struggled with that in this game. He had the one whiff on 22 swings. And even though he's throwing a little harder, like we're really seeing a 94 mile an hour fastball. Like that's not blowing anyone away at this point. In theory, the slider should be that pitch. It's got some decent movement on it, but it's not, I don't know. It's not some crazy pitch that breaks in an out of control way. And it's going to get pitching ninjas attention and all that jazz. Like, he is kind of a guy who mixes things up without having anything spectacular. And there are moments where, you know, that can look pretty uninspiring. But at the same time, you know, if we were talking in, you know, a year ago, you might have said the same thing about Ross Stripling, too. Like these guys who sort of live and die on mixing things up and control and command. And, you know, Mitch White is basically that guy. There can be outings like this where it just doesn't seem like they're fooling anybody. And it certainly looked like in that third inning he wasn't fooling anyone. And it's pretty un inopportune time for the Blue Jays for him to not make it through three innings, certainly. And I get the frustration, but... Yeah, like I don't know what you're supposed to do other than run him out again. As uh, you know, that doesn't sound like the greatest solution to anybody, but I think that's the reality. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, the, the things not going right uh, or things going wrong at inopportune times uh, could be a theme that recurs throughout this episode uh, as we chronologically go through this game. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, the next thing that really comes along, I mean, the, you know, it's funny. I was planning to talk quite a little, quite a bit about sort of the Yusei Kikuchi uh, decision because that felt like a bit of a fulcrum in this game that went against the Blue Jays. As it turned out, not really what matters at the end of the day. We got a lot of ump show in this game, and and that kind of goes back to you know we can talk a little bit about the jet, about the Kevin Gosman Bach incident and the fact that no one knows what box are, uh, including major league umpires. But uh, <laughs> it I don't know. So it's funny we we're talking before the show, and I had some notes. I included the the name Tim Tim Donaghy in the notes, which implies something that I'm not remotely implying. What I want to say is that I was watching the Tim Donaghy documentary on Netflix the other day, and there's times where he, you know, the famous NBA ref who got caught with gambling, there are times when he would, you know, he would participate in the games himself, and essentially he was throwing the games, although he himself denies that. We don't have to go down that route. But what he did do a lot of the time is he would bet on games that he wasn't refing, but he knew that particular refs and particular coaches and players meshed in a certain way, and knowing that was enough to give him a serious gambling edge. And that's kind of crazy because you think of them as being so impartial, and that's the whole point of everything. And it seems to me that sort of Jeff Nelson and the Blue Jays has become a thing to some degree. And like, if I'm the Tim Donaghy of the MLB, maybe I'm betting against Blue Jays when uh, against the Blue Jays when Jeff Nelson is playing a prominent role. And I'm not saying that that's some kind of awful behavior by anyone. It might just be human nature and conflict and the way things have turned out. But it really seems like the Blue Jays and Jeff Nelson are in the middle of some kind of weird conflict right now. 
Yeah, it is. It, it, it is weird. It's it's weird, especially that. I mean, I know the players were the same from earlier in the year, but the managers changed, and there's still, you know, this is going on. I know. I definitely talked about, you know, he was behind the play in Game Six in Kansas City in 2016 or 2015, uh, which you know that's a completely different cast of characters, and yet there he was, you know, the the subject of the ire of Blue Jays fans for very very fucking good reason. Um, and so I don't know. Is that connected? Is is, is the you know the the thing the thing against the A's? And I wrote about this you know earlier today and brought up the uh, you know the the pitching charts and uh, you know the as I recall from that game you know it was egregious. It's kind of gotten you know it, it's kind of in the background. It's not the bad ump game. It's not the Doug Eddings game, which was you know the one that that, that like was somehow even worse. Uh, but yeah, that's the one where Charlie first got rejected, uh, the one against Oakland that Nelson, uh, umpired. And as I recall, it was like, uh, the, the A's were, you know, the, he was called this, the zone wasn't really, I mean, I don't want to defend this fucking bozo, but the, the zone wasn't necessarily different for every, for, for both sides as much as, you know, the Jays just weren't, uh, weren't, weren't throwing it to the spots. That he was, you know, having this the, the 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 bulbous zone. Now I may be getting the Eddings game in that one confused anyway. But yes, there is a thing there. Clearly, in this series, you know, within a series, there's you know, there's much more of a chance for the tension. Uh, and yeah, it is weird, like the Gosman thing, the premeditated thing, especially hearing his comments about like you know, usually guys will like come up to me and be like, hey, you know watch it you know you're you you gotta like pause your motion there and they're in my ear about you know like the fact that that. That this is a thing that Gosman literally said. Like this happens every time he pitches. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's such a weird ump show thing, and it's just, you know, such a garbage thing from Nelson. And you know, making them play in the rain, I thought was was pretty egregious. And you know, as far as interminable ball games go, the Bo, the Bobichet chase of four home runs really made you know, save that. But that was a slog too, like literally and figuratively. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what to make of it, except that, you know, Jeff Nelson, not very good at his job and the Blue Jays are clearly noticing. I think other teams noticed too, though. Yeah. And, and there were, especially the strike zone tonight, I don't know what the scorecards are going to show, but it, it seemed like there was weird calls all over the place. Like, I don't want to position it. Like there's some conspiracy, like Jeff Nelson is trying to tank the Blue Jays. There's just been this weird <laughs> level of conflict there. And I think that that can, you know, work around the edges of the psyche or whatever. And, it, you know, the dug the dugouts emptying on that weird Brian Baker thing, which seemed pretty innocuous based on what we saw. Like, if you just took what you saw on the broadcast, uh, and there's going to be more information. And this is part of the, the difficulty of doing this show immediately after the game, right? Like, sometimes there are things we miss because the information comes out later. And I'm sure this is going to be one of those cases. That being said, like it just seemed like such a little thing, like oh, like a shut out, shut up motion from Baker, and then suddenly the whole di- like it. There's there has to be more to it than that, so I don't want to comment too much on that and what happened there, just because I think we don't know. But then you know the Schneider ejection happening so quickly after that, and you know some of the things again. There's a lot of amateur lip readers out there. I don't consider myself to be among them, so I'm not going to quote all the things he supposedly said. But what I will say is that when I saw the tweets of what people thought Schneider said, it sure sounded a lot like what a lot of Blue Jays fans were thinking tonight. Yes, absolutely true. And you know, I mean, the Schneider thing, and I think Dan said it on the broadcast. You know, that had just sort of been building all game. Uh, I'm sure building from the Gosman thing. Uh, I, I think you're. I think you're correct in not 
wanting to look too hard at the at, at the Teoscar Baker thing because it is weird. And, I, and somebody, you know, I, I wish I, I wish I had my screen up right now, uh, but I saw some, somebody in my replies was talking about you know uh, that that perhaps that, that that he suspected that the Jays were chirping for a balk there. Uh, and that maybe that's what ba- what Baker said, but it, and, and then I think somebody correctly uh, was like, I mean, Teoscar is a calm dude and a smiling, happy dude, and, and like I think even pe- you know people who will interact, like they, it, like for him to get that mad, I don't know that it would have just been like shut up, stop, t- stop trying to get a bot called on me. Like there was something that was said there. Uh, I would think. I mean, maybe the heat of the moment. Who knows? We don't know. Uh, there is a guy who works for Sportsnet. Who would have been right nearby? I'm surprised we didn't hear from him. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but but perhaps things like that will come out uh, in, in the coming days, or maybe not. Maybe we'll never know. It is very strange. I think the like the fact that he was in the organization is uh, is certainly is certainly uh, uh, an interesting angle to it. I definitely went and immediately looked to see if uh, uh, if Schneider had managed him at any point, which he had not. Uh, Casey did. Casey Candale had uh, had had managed Baker, so that he was sitting right there for whatever was said. But I don't know that that necessarily mattered. Um, and then, yeah, the the ejection uh, again. I don't want to defend Jeff Nelson, who sucks and is a bozo, but uh, he really did. Ta- he really did take it. He did let he did let Schneider get his money worth there. I mean, that was uh, that was a red and mad uh, human being. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, I mean, I'm to be fair. He's he's often a red human being. This I think it, it kind of doesn't necessarily for many humans. It really oscillates depending on mood, and for him, in some ways, it's more constant. Um, the one thing I did want to add to that, and I, and I really hesitate to be the guy who wants to be overconfident about his impressions about players he's interacted with just because we know that like media members will say oh this guy's the best guy and then he turns out to be a scumbag like it's a bit performative your interactions with those people it's very it's a tiny slice that you see but teoscar is someone based on the interactions i've had with him that it really surprises me to see him react like that like he really does seem to be seem perhaps being the keyword but he really does seem to be that guy um who yeah who you see pouring sunflower seeds over people and having fun and like it it is it was weird like it struck me as odd like there's not a lot of blue jays players that have a hard time believing that that could happen especially you know we know that athletes are generally type a personalities um but he was one that where it did strike me and that's why i think there is more to the story whether we learn that or not remains to be seen but uh, if I had to p- sort of pick out one of the few guys, like imagine if Alejandro Kirk was that guy, right? Like there's just a couple of guys for whom it would just be a weird fit, and he's one of those guys. So uh, I hope we learn more about it, but it could be one of those things that just gets kept in house. Yeah, uh, and I, I think also I mean, that that's the sense that I get from. I, I've never interacted with Teoscar. That's the sense I get from people who have, in, in, in addition to you. And also, you know, he's been here since what 2017, and this is the first the first that I can recall him uh, reacting like that to anything. So uh, interesting, interesting. Uh, it, it does make your mind. I mean, we shouldn't get too hung up on it, but it does make you, uh, the the like the the knowledge of the people in that dugout does make you wonder if it was personal or what the hell it was. But uh, yeah, who knows? Uh, weird game. Weird game. But, 
Yeah, so before we get out of the game, when we get out of the game, we can luckily get a little bit less grim, which would be nice for everyone involved, both the listeners, <laughs> I think, and us. But we should touch on the Rutschman call. Um, a weird one. Turned out being totally inconsequential in the game. Uh, I found myself annoyed with it because I kind of wanted to get onto the podcast. Um, but, you know, that, that's a smaller concern. Uh, it is... It's hard because a lot of the times, again, we talk about kind of amateur play calling sleuths and then now you get the rule book people and everyone's coming out of the woodworks. I think what we can agree on is that sometimes you're enforcing something to the letter of the law, but it doesn't necessarily make sense in real time. And I don't believe, and maybe you're going to disagree with me here, uh, but I don't think that anything Kirk did meaningfully prevented Rutschman from scoring the run uh, or coming to the plate. And I don't think it was even remotely dangerous. And as a result, like he may have been in violation of some rules. It seems to me he did that kind of long before Rutschman was really in the area, uh, which again, weirds me out about that rule. But again, I'm not going to dispute what the rule is because I don't know the rule book better than other people. It just, it shows that if we're making this call, there might be a flaw in how we're applying these rules because it just doesn't seem like that is keeping anyone safe uh, or really making life easier for runners. Like it, it did strike me as arbitrary, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, well, arbitrary, except in that the, uh, the that's what the that's what the video showed, and I guess you know, like you say, if they go by the letter of the law, that's what it has. Uh, you know, my my very simple, and I think I, I must say, I think elegant solution is that's not a reviewable play. Like, if the umpire doesn't call it, then then, then it didn't happen. Like, I I don't know why you have to go through that play in particular that with a fine tooth comb. Uh, maybe their example, you know, if there's if a guy gets blown up, I mean, I, that. Leave it to the umpire's discretion. We used to do that all the time, uh, you know. And and I'm you know I'm very pro replay, but there's definitely, um, you know, it, it's I mean soccer is so or not soccer. Soccer was going to be my second example, which is which is where it's a disaster sometimes. Uh, but like in tennis, it's perfect because it's like in or out. It's like the the it, it's just a simple binary, and and you can go to the computer, and the computer will just like tell you with precision whether the ball was in or out. And when it when we get into this like interpretive situation uh it is weird and so you know soccer you see offsides where it's just like that would never be called offside but var checks it out and it's like uh it, and it's it, you know it all the time the letter of the the, the letter of the law and it, as precise as we can get through you know the <laughs> frame by frame analysis doesn't line up with the spirit of the rule and it's uh that's dumb you were like we're we're just like throwing our hands up and the, the, so the system is the system. So there's, you know, we're like, we're the people, people put the system together. Like we can just change that. We don't have to deal with this. Like, uh, and it's strange that it's just, it's just started to come up. Um, I saw Gregor, uh, from the star was, uh, was like, this is like the, the, the possibility of, uh, uh, the Brett Hull skate, the crease, like for MLB, like this is go if this, if, if this stupid kind of call affects, uh, you know, a really meaningful game. And this was a meaningful game. It was not necessarily meaningful at that point in the game, but it, it, it could have been, it was more meaningful than it became after that call, uh, gifted the, the, uh, the Orioles a run. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's something that I don't know that you need to wait till the off season to do. I mean, send them, send them out tomorrow, clarify this or just say, don't, don't review it. If the umpire didn't see any problem with it, you know, there's no need to go through it with a fine tooth comb. Uh, I, I might, I might go, <laughs> go that route with the, uh, 
uh, you know, the tag, the, the tag plays are the plays at second base and third base as well, you know, like where, where, you know, a guy's foot comes off for a second and he's getting called out and we have people like zooming in and going frame by frame to see if there was like a millimeter of a gap. I mean, that's, that seems unnecessary as well. Uh, we don't have to stand for this. I don't know. <laughs> I think Gregor's a hundred percent right there. You know, this is a game between the Blue Jays and the Orioles. You know, I know people are feeling kind of down after this game potentially. I still think it's very likely that you know it's beyond very likely. Like the vast majority of scenarios, the Blue Jays still finish ahead of the Orioles and make the playoffs, and this game doesn't end up mattering. You know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, but you know, I guess you could it could matter within seeding, wild card, yada yada yada. We all know one game matters i don't want to be totally dismissive of it but if this happening you know in the in a world series game with that national audience well canada and the u.s north american audience whatever whoever is watching you know millions of people are tuning in and this is what decides a championship like you know there's a little you know there are rumblings tonight but it would be outrageous to people like this does not make sense to the average fan who's watching it in real time like it just doesn't no, I, I hope it doesn't make sense to anybody. It didn't, certainly didn't seem to make sense to, to you know, uh, to, to Pat and, and to Dan. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me or you. And, you know, I, I mean, when we don't even really understand the rule, like, it's so, it's so hard. I mean, it's, it's like you can't ever really be there. It's like, don't ever be in the lane. It's like, can't you just be there when no one else is around That's for a bit? Really can't simple. you just stop by? I don't know. Again, I'm I'm not going to be asked to write the next rule, but I do think <laughs> it's safe to say they should replace this one. Let's get to Bo because something good is happening with the Blue Jays, and that is Bo Bichette. After this game, so a four-hit game for Bichette, a double, a home run, a bit of a fluky home run. I think it was a unicorn, according to Wooda Dong. That <laughs> sentence could be really confusing to people um, who don't know what Wooda Dong is or what a unicorn is. It means a home run that only leaves one ballpark. So it potentially, I think that's correct. It, it was only going out in Camden. But now... We've got a WRC plus for Bo on the season of 122, which is exactly identical to what he produced last year during his uh, all-star season, which is pretty wild. Um, you know, it's crazy what a, you know, it, you feel like we're deep into the season. We're over 130 games in. A little hot streak here can't totally recontextualize what someone has done. And yet he's been so hot that, you know, he carried them through a Pittsburgh series that was kind of uninspiring in a lot of ways. Um, without him, they definitely wouldn't have won a couple of those games, and then they'd be looking at a very different situation now. And then, again, obviously, with that three home runs, like he is, yeah, they're riding him right now, and his whole season looks awfully different now that, you know, his, he's no longer hovering around kind of league ag- average offensive production. Now he's hovering around elite shortstop production, which is sort of what we expected. Yeah, I, I worry a little bit that it, that it, it will be very easy for people who slipped into being quite against Bo Bichette there for a while, to uh, which was which was odd. And uh, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit. I wrote about about that and about you know the the Austin Riley contract and how that's how those are kind of comparable players if you want to look at it that way. Fangraphs did. I didn't really. I don't have a dog in that in that race, but. Uh, um, but yeah, I think it, it it could become unfortunate if people sort of look at this and do the thing what they've done with the record of the the Jays. It's like, oh well, they've been mediocre except for that one 
hot streak, which is sort of, well, that's sort of how that works for everybody. But uh, I think the, the the bigger thing, I mean, obviously it was huge the way that he did carry them in Pittsburgh, that he did carry them in the two games, uh, the doubleheader against the Orioles, uh, which are all really important games. They're all fucking important games at this point. Um, but for me, it's like, you know, it's really at this point, if you cut out that, like the awful April that he had, uh it's it's been pretty good production, you know. It's not as high. It's 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 obviously higher than what it is right now, but it's like it's been consistent. If you look from May first until today, uh, you know he's got a weighted runs created plus in the one twenties, and that's like that's like what you expect from him. And uh, it has had maybe bigger peaks and valleys. And I know that there's definitely like an aspect of like the uh, the, the run environment, the offensive environment is different this year. Like he's. He's having this weighted runs created plus because that's a a park and league and year adjusted number. Uh, he's doing it based on production that last year would did, was was would not have looked as good in terms of weighted runs created plus. Like I think his his uh, OPS is definitely is definitely well down, but that's just because the league is well down. Um, so it, it is weird, and it's weird to wrap our heads around that. Um, but also, he sure as hell looks locked in, and, and he looks like you know there's all sorts of good things coming you know coming together and, and it's happening for him. You know, it's not just uh, hopefully it's not just you know what, what we saw with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. for a bit, where you know the bat was high and he was hitting everything the other way, and it was like, oh, maybe he's maybe this is just who he is now. Maybe he's just slow Ichiro, and uh, and I don't know that that's that, that you know I think we believe more in Bo. Uh, you know, just in terms of like what his talent is, and, and you're starting to feel like uh, the guy that he was hyped to be is still in there. I don't think that anybody should have ever really wavered on that, but I know people kind of did. Um, and just to see him, you know, not be, you know, the two strike approach has changed a bit. They talked about that on the broadcast, how the leg kick or, or the, the, the tap is kind of different now. Uh, he's pulling the ball a bit more, which is something that, you know, he really had a dip in terms of pulling the ball. I know you wrote about Bo, you know, a week or two ago, uh, quite extensively about, about stuff like that. And, and uh, all those factors that are, you know, are just sort of moving in the right direction. And as big as the, you know, the micro is as big as, you know, the, these specific home runs in these specific games are, I mean, the macro, I think is, is even more important and it doesn't mean he's going to, you know, continue to have to hit like Aaron judge for like the next three weeks. But uh, uh, just that, that all of this is working in the right direction and moving in the right direction is, is, is extremely good because hopefully some of the, the, you know, perhaps a guy who's hitting ahead of him in the lineup uh, tonight, will uh, we'll start have, we'll start having things move in the right direction for him as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever gave up on Bo as a, as a talent, but I think that I kind of wrapped my head around the idea that maybe this just wasn't going to be a good year for him. Like it was just going to be a slight down year. And that didn't mean that he wasn't the shortstop of the present and the future. Didn't mean that he wasn't a huge asset to the team. It was just like, ah, oh, this, this year things just don't seem to be quite coming together. And there's a couple things you can point to. Like the strikeout rate is up a little bit, uh, enough to be noteworthy. You know, the base running has been way worse after he was was kind of a weapon on the bases last year uh but at the end of the day you know you're looking at a guy who's probably you know on pace to finish the year close to a four win player that's pretty damn good not a lot of people have that as a you know a 24 year old guy at a premium defensive position 
yeah, it, it, it is a little bit of a reality check about how quickly things can change. And we can get so confident in our like, oh, this is our take about what this guy's doing or how good a season this guy's having. And I think it, it just serves as a nice little reminder that we need to, you know, I know we maybe do a little bit more equivocating than some people do when we did do a little bit more qualifiers than some. So to say it's a reminder that our take should be even colder. I don't know if that's like the future <laughs> of this podcast, but it, I do think that there is something to that. The idea that, you know, maybe we shouldn't get overconfident about how we think of X, Y, and Z player, because even deep into a season, the trajectory of that player can totally change. And, you know, as good as someone can be and as stable as they can be from a true talent perspective. And, you know, it looks like Bo is going to be, you know, maybe he'll finish just outside 120 by the, the time the season is finished. Who's to say? But, you know, other than his incredibly hot beginning as a rookie, it looks like he's settling in as kind of a, an established guy who does a pretty predictable thing in terms of not really walking, hitting for above average, but not incredible power, striking out around average and, you know, spraying line drives. Like we, we kind of know what Bichette is. And so even with the ups and downs, you know, he's still going to be approximately that guy. And, and it was probably foolish for anyone to doubt that that was going to come around. And maybe someday he's got this erratic style and someday the bat speed will fade and that'll be an issue because he's pretty reliant on this point. He's not a raw strength guy and he needs to put the ball in play with authority to be effective, but he's 24, you know, like let's worry about that in 10 years. Uh, and maybe at that point we can talk about Bo's true talent, but it, it's just kind of reinforcing what we should have already known. And I think we did already know, but it's a, it's amazing how quickly things can change. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have not seen nearly as many, uh, they should trade Bo tweets in the last uh, the last couple of weeks as I was for a while there. No. Uh, so just to, to touch on a couple more things before we head out of here, a couple more guys who are doing well. well. I say Julian Merriweather is doing well in the sense that he's back with the Blue Jays. And it's been a bit of a long road for him. He's toiled at AAA a little bit. Um, this game, we saw some good and bad, right? Like you, that one pitch that he gave up that hit on where the run was scored is about as bad a pitch as you're going to see. Like it was a change up right in the middle of the plate. He seems to do that a little bit too often. The fastball is, you know, the velocity is still there. So we're always going to say, wow, he, he brings that different element. He's got the velocity. He's, he can get up in the upper 90s. I, what I'm wondering, I guess, is what you need to see to kind of believe that he's that he has a real use from here on out because we'll never believe that in his durability, right? Like there's nothing he can do in the next couple of weeks that make us think, Oh, you know what? We can count on Merriweather to be a big part of this bullpen going forward. Like this is a guy who I believe is 30 years old at this point, And he's got, he's always oh, coming up on 31 and he's got 45.1 MLB innings. So we're not going to get convinced on that count, but is there, something you're looking for to make you more convinced that he can be useful while he's here, you know, kind of enjoy the Merriweather experience while it's around. I mean, basically it needs to look like he did at the start of 2021, right? Uh, that's all I ask. It's just a simple <laughs> ask. Just pre-sticky stuff, man, and, and pre, you know, the latest several injuries or whatever's happened. Um, that would be wonderful. Uh, still haven't quite seen it yet. I mean, that was just, he was dominant and it really, you know that that's going to be tough for him to ever satisfy anybody. Like uh, 
uh, unless he gets back to that, which which is an incredibly high bar. And I think you're right that it's it's good in the sense that uh, just to see him back on the field, just to see him on the field and like pitching in a rainstorm and not like like spraining several ligaments, I think is is, is a great start. And I think that um, you know like. I mean, the the minors you can only do so much. He was he was very effective in the minors. Pitches like that changeup, uh, you know. You, I mean, even minor league hitters would probably do all right with that changeup. But, but the 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 rate at which you know you can get away with mistakes like that is higher in the minors. And you know, I, I think that it would it would do him awfully well to get a real run of innings in the big leagues. And I don't know if they're going to find him those innings this year. Uh, in this situation that they're in, there's, you know, how hopefully there's not a lot of, you know, bailing out Mitch White in the third inning kind of scenarios um, going forward. But uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know. I, I I think it will it will take it will, it won't take a lot for me to start believing in, in Julian Merriweather and that he can help. Obviously, like you say, the health stuff is always going to be in the back of mind, but. Uh, but I, you know, it, it's not super impressive right now, unless you just like look at the raw velocity and you kind of look at the stuff. But it's never really come together, except in that one stint in the start of twenty twenty one. But I think that if he, you know, that was after I think that was after a full spring training. I don't even maybe it wasn't. I, he's always so always hurt that he may have been injured at some point during that spring as well. I can't remember. But uh, but I just like to see him get a run of. of of innings and just get like a good run of, you know, regular usage and maybe have a chance to like refine that and, and, and uh, smooth out some of the rough edges, which I feel is maybe, you know, the difference between him being like the guy we've seen the last couple of days and a guy who maybe not that, you know, that ceiling of his, but still a, a very useful guy who's, you know, an above average reliever. Yeah, it's so easy to forget how small that sample of him is, right? Like we have 45 innings to play with across three different years under three different set of circumstances. And so there's a lot of things that like I can I think about Julian Merriweather, but we have to remind ourselves that we don't really know, right? Like in my mind, Julian Merriweather gives up too many home runs. Well, he's given up seven home runs in his MLB career. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we actually know that yet. Like, in my mind, Julian Merriweather doesn't really strike out enough batters for who you'd think he'd be. But again, you know, it's 45 innings. You know, tonight he had three strikeouts. The velocity should lead to some level of whiffs. I know that the slider and curveball haven't been the same since the sticky stuff ban. I don't want to draw a hundred percent straight line there. There's also been a bunch of injuries, so it's hard <laughs> that, to can, that could be a thing, yeah. It could be a thing, and you know, there's movement data on that too. It's not quite as dynamic as it used to be. Like there's there's a lot of smoke with that. We'll put it that way. Um, but it is interesting that because he's been around for so long, because he you know, he's been, there's been the promise of him for so long. I feel like our priors are more deeply entrenched about what we've seen, but the reality is we've never seen more than 19 innings in a single season or this year. Uh, after this game, I think he'll, he's at 21 innings in 2022. Like we've never seen more than that in a single year from him. And so I don't know, like it, it, it will take a while for me to feel like I know what to expect from him, even from a performance standpoint. And to get to that point, he'd have to sort of overperform in terms of being healthy. So it, I just, I don't know if we're going to get answers this year, but maybe the bullpen will be in a state such that we'll have to go with the uncertainty 
because he sort of flashes some potential. And this outing, you know, while not perfect, was the kind of outing where he did show some of that potential. Like there's not a lot of outings in his career where he struck out three batters before. Like, you know, he's under a strikeout per inning in his brief MLB career. So I, I thought today he had that one brutal pitch, cost him a run. I thought overall it was a positive. And yeah, the biggest positive is that he's here. Um, but I would be surprised if he's someone that is a huge factor coming down the stretch. Like we, the, the time of us talking about Merriweather and Pearson being the potential change of pace that the bullpen needs, I think have probably come and gone. Although the, you know, the window is always very, very slightly open. Yeah, no. And I, I think that the Pearson, uh, I think there could still be some excitement for Pearson. Those, those velocity numbers looked good at double A. Uh, future Blue Jays wrote about it and uh, said spoke to somebody down there or an organization source or a source that knows something or, I don't know. Was 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 cagey about that as a as a, a journalist would do, uh, but said that they're 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 he looked really good. People you know, were excited about it. Or he was the person he spoke to was excited about it. And, uh, I I think that what I would say is that there could still be excitement about those guys, and, and um, you know, maybe Merriweather less than Pearson. Maybe Pearson will ruin that uh, as soon as we see him. But uh, what they've done to their credit is you know build a bullpen that doesn't need those guys, and they're sort of. Uh, they're just sort of gravy, right? Like that's uh, uh, that that's that was the only play they could make. They obviously aren't relying on them to like supercharge their bullpen. Uh, but if that happens, that, there's obviously there's going to be a spot for them to do that. All right, one more guy I wanted to touch on who has fallen under the shadow of Bo because he's been the dominant offensive story is our friend, uh, the much maligned Kevin Biggio. I think he deserves a little bit of a shout out here since August 31st. He has half of his home run total on the season. That is three home runs, uh, to be fair, <laughs> but you know, a little bit of a power surge from him. Again, it's not necessarily that this hot streak remind is telling us something new. It's kind of more of a reminder of where he's at. Like right now, after today's game and he got pulled early in the game, but he's got a WRC plus of 116 on the season. It's, you know, it's 244 plate appearance season because he's kind of a part-time-ish player. Uh, but now, you know, we're looking at 1,233 plate appearances coming into tonight's game, a 109 WRC plus. Again, we're using that just, it's a good shorthand. Uh, now he's got th- four seasons under his belt. None of them have huge plate appearance totals individually, but in three of the four seasons, he's been between a 115 and a 122. Coming to the year, I thought that people were overly down on him. He has been, you know, he's been really solid. And I know that they deploy him in a way that's advantageous to him. He's not an everyday player right now. They pick and choose with matchups sometimes. But that being said, and he's not hitting, you know, the home runs he's hit in the last few days, it's not like they've been bombs or he's hit something the opposite way. As I said, I don't think we're really learning something particularly new about the player, but maybe we're getting reinforced that, you know, he's, in my view, he's significantly better than most people thought he was coming into this year. And maybe some of the stuff he's done early in his career is still reflective of what's left in that bat. No, I think that's true. I think that, you know, uh, I, I'm still not super high on him. I mean, the, there have been peaks and valleys. There have been for everybody. But also, if I'm going to be generous to Bo and be like, well, we could throw it as April and it's actually looked pretty good. I mean, Biggio had a terrible start to the season. Uh, and since he's been back, obviously, I'm, I'm sure those numbers are going to look even better. And it's, uh, 
it, <laughs> it's not that hard, I assume, looking good next to Whit Merrifield at this stage. But uh, but but he's certainly sailing over that low bar, um, and yeah, you know he's a he's a useful guy. He's uh, he is. Uh, I mean, love Santiago Espinal. The glove has been good. The bat has kind of faded a bit. Obviously, I was very glad to see that his hand was fine, though I was shocked because it, it definitely did not look good when he got hit by that uh, pitch in Pittsburgh. Uh, was it in Pittsburgh or was it whatever? Or, that or, was Pittsburgh. That was in Pittsburgh. Okay. Oh yes, that's right. Because you were in Pittsburgh. Where... Yeah, we'll give we'll get we'll end with a brief report on that. Okay. Good. We'll uh, keep, uh, yeah, don't cut that. I want to hear about Pittsburgh. I hear good things, but uh, but yeah, no, Biggio. I think you're right. We should credit him, and and uh, he's been useful. And I think that uh, you know, Dan made the point on the broadcast today. But you know, you feel comfortable with him at first base. Which yeah, it's just first base, but then they threw Merrifield out there, and it's like okay, maybe 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 having someone who you're comfortable in at first is is kind of important, uh, and we maybe take for granted you know uh, how good Biggio has become, and, and perhaps because you know Vlad has become really good. I mean, Vlad's going to win a damn Gold Glove this year, uh, which is crazy. But but I, I think that that's who else is going to win it? Um, so I mean, a Gold Glove by default. I mean. You know, unless you're Derek Jeter, uh, it still counts. Um, but yeah, no, uh, kudos to Biggio. I think the deployment has been good. Uh, I think people might question some of John Schneider's deployment after they saw Kikuchi uh, <laughs> coming to the ballgame tonight. But uh, we don't have to talk about that. I thought he was okay. Um, and yeah, it's uh, uh, it, it has been a little shot in the arm for them, absolutely, to have him looking more like himself. And I think if you want to be really generous, and I know some people do, there's still some Cavan stands out there. There was a lot of, there was a lot of hype to cling to early on with the, uh, uh, the hall of fame father thing and the, 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 the bloodline stuff that, that was uh, central to the marketing for a while. Uh, you know, a lot of his numbers career wise are dragged down by last year, which, you know, people rightly got a bit sour on him, but he was hurt. And there, you know, uh, he, like just throughout the year, I think. And, and, you know, I'm not I'm not sold on the fact that that was all just injury and he's going to bounce back and be fine. And that's what I said that all off season, And I think that's sort of borne out. But also, I think, that was the, you know, there's an aspect of that as well. That's absolutely true. That like part of the reason why he wasn't you know, hitting for as much power last year or hitting as well last year was that he that, that he was just carrying these injuries and, and a healthier BGO certainly looks like a better one. Yeah, I, because he's a weird player, and we've talked about that, how he, he has the big strikeout total without the big power, and it seems odd that he's able to walk so much. Because of that, people were very inclined to, once something went wrong, they were inclined to think, oh, okay, this has never worked. This is all a mirage. And what this season is doing for me is making, you know, until proven di- differently, I think 2021, it's fair to say, looks like the biggest outlier in terms of what he's done in his career. And I know that the plate appearance totals in each individual season aren't necessarily super high with him, as highest as 430. But the fact that he's done it three times, I think, is meaningful, as opposed to if it was just one big chunk in a row. Like The fact he keeps being able to come back to this level of producing above-average offense, again, potentially in beneficial situations, like not as an everyday player, uh, you know, that, that shows his quality as a guy. And 
yeah, he's not someone to build your marketing around going forward. That was very much, you know, a, a relic of 2019. Uh, you know, there was a time when he was their most effective rookie. Obviously, no one is saying that now. But it, we have come a long way since the offseason where everyone was happy to kind of bury him. The reality is he's still in his 20s. He still has that elite plate discipline. You know, the power is actually above average this year. His ISO is 179 right now, like in the current offensive environment. Like, that's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I, again, I just want to give him a little bit of shout out because I think that with Bo, he's just not getting the recognition right now. Want to finish off. Not a ton to say about Pittsburgh. Went to Pittsburgh over the weekend. Just a couple of things I was struck by. One, it was absolutely invaded by Blue Jays fans, like just Blue Jays fans all over town. So, you know, just continuing the narrative that this is a fan base that travels well, that absolutely anecdotally fits with my experiences. The other thing is that the park comes as advertised. Like, it is fantastic. They've sacrificed a little bit of, uh, you know, seating in the outfield potentially to let the river and the bridges and stuff eat behind the ballpark. I think that's something a lot of people could learn from, not trying to cram as many seats as physically possible into space and uh, letting, you know, the skyline do some work. I know we have a bit of that at Rogers Center. You know, good beer and food comparative to Rogers Center, that's not saying a ton, but I just, (laughs) I would. I would absolutely, and as the schedule gets more balanced and this happens more often, I would absolutely recommend and sort of reaffirm uh, the reputation that it's a good place to go and see a ball game. And yeah, now it's not going to be something that crops up every once every six years or whatever it would have used to be based on the old math. Uh, it's an opportunity that's going to become more available to Blue Jays fans, and that is a good thing. Yeah, awesome. I, I have never been. It looks like a gorgeous park. Obviously, everybody raves about it. Uh, and uh, not not even, I mean, it's still a long drive, but it's it's not even like It's crazy. like five hours, a little yeah. bit more. Is it really? That, that, geez, that's even shorter than I thought. I mean, I guess I'm in Peterborough these days, so that's that adds a couple hours to it. But it's like, I mean, so it's like as far as Montreal, like that's wild to me. Yeah, probably a little bit shorter than Montreal. I mean, you know, border luck is a lot. Uh, the, the way there and the way back were different. But yeah, I mean, in theory, you can get door to door in about just over five hours. And yeah, it's, so it's, we don't think of Pittsburgh like as being as close to some of these other places. And I don't know why that is, but, um, it, yeah, it's surprisingly close. It's a great ballpark. There's some good beer. Uh, the city itself is kind of a city of pockets. Like, there are places to go there of interest. The places between those places, um, not so much. But that's okay. Man, so it's American city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which isn't New York. But, yeah, that, that, yeah that's fair. Uh, and the drive, as I recall, and it's been a while since I've been down that way, but uh, drive's not that bad either. Uh, I'm, just, I'm thinking back to going to Detroit and that uh, the 401 401- down to Windsor, not my favorite. A little, uh, yeah. a little bland. A little bland. Not a lot of hills. Not a lot of anything. Just, uh, just the four hundred one. Just, yeah, you, uh, just you and your, your stupid yeah. friends. <laughs> you and your thoughts. Yeah, it, no. There's some forest. I, I don't know. I don't know how to review a highway. There's stuff. It's <laughs> a, you'll get there. You'll have a good time. Go to I don't know Helltown Brewing. They do an interesting brisket cheesesteak. There's a wildly specific recommendation. Uh, we can get out of here. It is past midnight for those of uh, the people who are still in here. I know some of our listeners are around the world, so maybe it's not past midnight for you. It is for us. 
So we are we are officially running out of gas, and we will defer to our next show, which will be, I believe, on Sunday in the late morning area. But sometimes I forget. That is correct. Okay, so we appreciate everyone who's listening in with us now, and you guys can check in with us again at that uh, somewhat unusual time. But, you know, who says no to a happy hour brunch? (laughs) That's right. Thanks so much, everybody. Appreciate all you guys who are in here in the room uh, listening to us live. Uh, And we'll talk to you on Sunday.